Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Very good, Darren. I'm, I'm uh, doing well. How are you this evening? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to like two weeks from now when we'll be covering the movie Alien um, on a completely <laughs> unrelated note to the movie that we are covering today. It's because we are 250 nights. <laughs> Yes, we are recording quite late. Behind quite the late. Yeah, we're peering yeah. in. I mean, it is. It is like we're coming up to October. You know, this is the, we're we launching our Halloween season next week. It's a little spooky, and we've got a fantastic guest joining us for this conversation. We are, of course, talking about John Suits' 2020 hot new entry on at least one of the two lists. That is Breach or Anti Life, depending on when the poster you are looking for is from. Uh, but yes, joining us for this discussion, the wonderful Mr. Joe Griffin. How are you, Joe? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Ah, our pleasure. Um, where this kind of came from is, like we were talking, we had you on a couple of weeks ago, we had you on about a month ago for a platoon. Uh, you said, hey, I have a bit more free time now. Uh, I'd love to come on and talk about absolutely anything. So I immediately abused that trust and asked you to talk about a terrible movie. Um, don't, I think don't put I, that I, information out in the public. <laughs> if I have free time, I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, just assume that that information is out of date by the time yeah, you hear exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. When you're hearing this. By the time Joe's this is released, um, if Joe has declined Elapsed. to like meet you for lunch, yeah. If, if Joe's declined to turn down a lunch invitation, assume he really is very Public busy. Public health. Yeah, that's, that's a reason justification. But yeah. no, because... What happened is we were, so yeah, I, I gave you the list of all the movies we hadn't covered and I asked you if there's anything you would like to cover. And I think you said, I'd love to cover Gladiator. And I said, that's a great idea. Ridley Scott has two movies coming out this year. Let's cover two of his movies on list. Let's do Alien and Gladiator. But also I noticed while I was compiling the list of movies that there was a hot new entry on the bottom 100 that I thought might appeal to your very special set of skills. The wonderful Mr. Bruce Willis has had a movie enter the bottom 100. And I said, Joe... You're a man of learning, a man of wisdom. You've already been pigeonholed as the 250s expert on 80s action movie icons, owing to your familiarity with the, you know, filmography of uh, Charlie Sheen and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Would you like to come on and talk about Bruce Willis? And I said, yes. Was that my cue for... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a, a couple that's on the rocks so and we've lost how to tell a story <laughs> hurry up hurry up yeah, just get, just get, 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 get to the point get it. All, right, all right all right so, like, no. let, let's before we talk about no, the movie I'm, in I'm quest, kidding that, that's that's like a, a, a you're continuing the shtick yeah. 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 yeah the shtick that's um, why I'm hilarious Darren <laughs> But yes, so like the reason I want to cover this is because it is a Bruce Willis movie uh, and Bruce Willis is obviously like an icon in terms of cinema. Like we've covered him on this podcast before. We talked about him in, say, The Sixth Sense. We talked about him earlier this year in Pulp Fiction. That was me who talked about The Sixth Sense. Yes, it was. So, I mean, I figured like bringing you back is a is a nice bit of symmetry there. Like, so what is your like relationship to like Bruce Willis in the gap between The Sixth Sense and let's say Anti-Life in 2020? Like, have you watched any of the movies in between? Where do you think his career went off the rails? Has it gone off the rails? Is this a secret masterpiece? Hmm. Uh, um, much like an international space voyage on arrival, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so Bruce Willis, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a huge fan. I think he's great. I think he's like Humphrey Bogart and Lee Marvin, but like f with 
filtered through the 80s. And uh, he's a mo much more versatile than people give him credit for. Like he, he had a kind of a Chandler Bing quality when he was in Moonlighting. And then um, by the time he ended up making a film with Chandler Bing uh, or Matthew Perry, um, he was in the Bruce Willis role. So it's like he's gone through about three or four personas, uh, a blue eyed soul singer as well, with like uh, albums out. And then he did. He's done loads of sci-fi. He's done kind of cerebral. Twelve Monkeys, yeah. Yeah, Twelve Monkeys and Looper or two. Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of big and small, like the fifth element. Uh, everything from kind of cerebral auteur sci-fi to let's blow stuff up, except while we're wearing futuristic clothes sci-fi. So, and everything in between. And then like. This film, Breach, which looks like it was shot in a quasar arena in a leisureplex. Uh, so every kind of sci-fi, really. But the, I think there's there's a few clear markers in Willis's career. And uh, so we all know, like, Landing Moonlighting was the first one. And then breaking out of TV um, to become a movie star with Die Hard. And then the kind of... Uh, in the '90s uh, stuff, he was uh, there. Was he had a really interesting stage in the '90s where he's balancing like legit bonfires of vanities, uh, oh, you know, yeah. Hudson he, Hawk, um, yeah. the player, Death Becomes Her, even that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but then also, Hudson um, Hawk wasn't very good though. No, was no, bad. that was his big passion project. That was yeah. like the one that I think he really wanted to make and did not go well. Yeah, uh, that was his uh, the postman, um, but. Uh, he also did like Nobody's Fool, where he held his own against uh, Paul Newman and Billy Bathgate, and so he had this like kind of purple patch, I think, around the nineties when he was doing blockbusters and then indie films at the same time. Now he's made tons of flops, um, but he he always had like a hit movie just around the corner to sustain him for a few years. Um, but the the real pivotal recent time was about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, in which. Um, he had two major flops, which were uh, Red 2 and the fifth Die Hard film, shamefully directed by an Irishman. And um, what he, even at that stage, even only a year or two beforehand, he was doing Moonrise Kingdom and Looper. Um, and then when he couldn't open a movie, uh, we started making flops around the time that the movie star system started dying. Um, that's when he couldn't really get the indie roles as well. He got fired from a Woody Allen movie. And uh, he, yeah, just the good projects just eluded him. And then he turned into the, what I call the Bob Dylan touring phase of his career. So I saw Bob Dylan play live about 15 years ago. And uh, he was really bad. He really yeah, phoned. Some, sometimes he's terrible. Like, uh, yeah. I... I would. Uh, I don't think he's got another good gig in him. Um, and, like he is eighty, like in fairness. But my point is, Dylan just tours relentlessly. Is uh, he called it this never-ending tour about twenty or thirty years ago, and he stayed true to that. And uh, but then when you go see him, at least half the time, and I would say the ratio is much worse now. He doesn't look at the audience, and he just kind of rambles through. And when I saw him, he was like wearing a hat and looking down, and the real kind of let's get this over with quality to the gig. And when I was watching it, I was thinking, you don't have to do this, man. Like you're in your seventies. 
you're so rich, you will never spend all the money you have. You're clearly not enjoying yourself. Why are you doing this? And I just, just let other people go out and play your songs and collect the royalties <laughs> like a DAO. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or Daft Punk. Um, That's but, bu- building is summer houses. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, take up fishing or something. Uh, so, like, a, and like, I, I love Dylan's music, a lot of his music. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, I wonder why uh, a certain brand of celebrity with hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, Willis is worth an estimated quarter of a billion dollars, and he's 65. Um, so I just wonder why they're working so relentlessly and apparently not enjoying it because they don't need the money. And it reminds me of, here's another musical comparison. Um, a friend of mine did a photo shoot for a, a student's union gig about 15 years ago. Actually, probably the same night as Bob Dylan one. And it was the Venga Boys. Remember the Venga Boys? Yes. I hear they're coming, yeah, with the Venga yes. Boys. Yeah, those guys. I, 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 uh, I drive a Kia Venga. It's yes. my Venga Boys. <laughs> so, but they... They were playing like Maynooth Students Union or something. And uh, I I remember saying to my photographer friend, like, why are they doing that? Like, I, surely they didn't get paid that much for it. And he was like, well, what else are they going to do? Like, learn to code, like get office jobs. So it's I, I think like Bob Dylan and Bruce Willis and the Venga Boys are in the same kind of Twilight Zone Arrested Development loop of they don't seem to be enjoying it. They either don't need the money or aren't making that much money, but they don't know what else to do. So they're just churning out bad concerts at the three arena or breach. And here we are. That's my yeah. thesis. I went to see Electric Six and at one point they said, we're going to play some of our new stuff now. So if you want to go out and have a smoke <laughs> like, <laughs> or whatever, order some more drinks, you can. Yeah. I wonder if the Venga boys do like new stuff or if they're just very aware that like nobody wants this. I was uh, I was at a either Witness or Oxygen many years ago. I got I'm so old and um I'm so old, I'm so glad to be reviewing talkie movies. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I I was at like one of those music festivals and Coldplay played and uh they played like loads of hits and then they played a couple of new songs and then they played a cover of What a Wonderful World. And they substituted one of the lines for, I know in the first part, we were a bit... Improvise! Too many new songs, not enough hits. But I think to myself, (laughs) (laughs) that was a a self-aware note from Chris Martin and the lads. But anyway, that's where Bruce Willis is at the moment. He's just in this loop where uh, he's churning out these movies and clearly not enjoying it. He doesn't need the money. And the only people watching it are probably... People making people excellent movie podcasts, <laughs> and and as well, like I've I've heard a few times, like um, a pe- not that he's not enjoying it, but that people aren't enjoying making movies with him either. That like the the Expendables were kind of like they didn't mention Bruce Willis, but they were like, yeah, we're going at it again. I mean, 
Um, We're just bringing a, good people. We're just yeah, bringing professionals this time. You bring all the good people back. But, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Couple of couple of things to, to to unpack there, just like specific because Dude, specifically, Kevin Joe Smith was really scathing about him. Yes. Like it, 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 I, uh, and then like he he he's a good kind of a raconteur, I guess. If 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 anything. Um, but uh, sorry. <laughs> if nothing no, no, no. else, and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I, I, wow. I was kind of wondering whether I wanted to say if nothing else. Anything mean, um, yes. What, like, it's funny, Kevin Smith, because I remember watching uh, with Darren uh, chasing Amy in, like, my teens and thinking, this is great. This is an epiphany. Then, this is eye-opening. And then even even while I was still, like, in college, yeah. I remember watching it with, like, a girlfriend and it was like, like oh. you know, showing her, you know, the thing that, like, this uh, means a lot to me. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I'm going to show you a great movie. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, this yes. Is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, yeah, a couple of points of intersection there that are worth noting. But like to bring it back to, to what Joe said in terms of, of Willis, I mean, one of the speculation that I've heard and to protect us, I'm going to cite a source. And that source is the Blank Check with Griffin and Dave podcast. Uh, but it's been, podcast, it way. is a fantastic podcast. Um, I've been getting into it while walking. Um, it will be a primary source on this episode. But like one of the things that's been argued hey, is that. Can I say something about Blank Check with Griffin and yeah. David? Sorry. They did. um they did the same thing we did with Inception. And I think it was about a year earlier. But they didn't uh-huh. do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Careful now. But I'll, I'll say if, 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 if they have like a Google alert, which probably Griffin Newman does, um, uh, we, we didn't copy you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, it was like the color mauve. Or, um, <laughs> Just simultaneous development. Well, I mean... Yeah. I, I, Again, like what actually I've noticed, like on the Reddit, we've come up a couple of times because we don't have a Reddit. But I'm sure if if we had a Reddit, they would come up a couple of times on there, which is pretty cool. Um, But what I want to say is what they suggested is that um, we don't know what the particulars of Bruce Willis's alimony agreement are with Demi Moore. And it's worth noting that Demi Moore is working a lot less than Bruce Willis. Um, So it has been suggested that at least one of the reasons why Bruce Willis may be working as prolifically as he is may be related to that and and various kind of the costs that accrue from that as well. I think yeah, I'd I'd have issues with that speculation for a few reasons. Um, One is that I would say like ads would be a much more lucrative like revenue stream. Funny you this. should mention that, Joe. We have a <laughs> we, <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll put a pin in that. And yeah, come we'll back. put a pin in that. And then another is that like Demi Moore is very rich and successful um herself. So I don't know. Is there is there a little dash of misogyny there? I don't know. Um but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean uh, I mean Demi Moore is having a great life and Bruce Willis is kind of Yes. Maybe like, like <laughs> Demi Moore seems to work because she wants to work is the thing. Like you look at Demi Moore's filmography and it's relatively light and the projects that she do tend to be higher profile. So she has a stint on Empire and Empire is the biggest show on television and it can pick anybody it wants. That sort of thing. As opposed to what Willis is doing where it's like, can I make 12 direct-to-video movies in Romania in the space of a year? Um, where like- in in fairness to Bruce, like we don't know, so I, yes. I so it, yeah, it, it could just be that he has he has um, a passion. Like we, you 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 could say that with with like 
that it's a kind of um, performers kind of have that sort of insecurity where they want to be kind of like um, out like on a stage or in front of a camera or something like that and kind of doing their thing and proving that they can still do it, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, that that is that is something else that I wanted to come to there, because I think Joe singled out like a pivotal moment for Willis was like 2012 when like 2012, he had the release of like Moonri- Moonrise Kingdom by Wes Anderson and Ryan Johnson's Looper, both very well received movies, both movies that are very much in the spirit of like, I think Joe singled out his kind of like early 90s experimental indie movie phase. Like you look at those movies and you go, is that the future for Bruce Willis? And then, as you pointed out, he had a terrible 2013. Not only did he have movies that underperformed you singled out red for example as well but that was the year where he was let go from the expendables 3 and the reason that he was let go for the expendables 3 is frankly incredible where he wanted and this is this is to come back to andrew's point where andrew's like they they said some things about him that were you know vaguely not nice no they said some things that were very explicitly not nice oh but, they uh, were explicit they okay. were pretty I, explicit i had just um, heard that kind of like we're having all the good people back kind of comment that doesn't mention him specifically yeah so but, bruce willis's fee is one million dollars a day that is how much he charges to work on a movie. Uh, on The Expendables 3, they offered him $3 million for four days work. They were like, hey, if we buy three, do we get one free? And Willis was like, that's not the deal. That's not how it works. So instead of taking the $3 million for four days, he walked off. And apparently, according to Sylvester Stallone, by the end of that day, they had Harrison Ford coming in and doing it for half the cost and being much more pleasant to everybody else involved in the cast. That's so funny because Harrison Ford, there's stories it's, about him saying like like it's uh, it it would offend him. To, yeah. Like it is it is not within his there's some phrase like it it's it's he he can't like conceptualize working for anything below his <laughs> um his fee, you know? That it's seven that it, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a day. That is that is that is Harrison Ford's fee. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that if you were to offer him something like that, it wouldn't make sense in in his mind. Like it wouldn't filter through or something. But he like doesn't it, understand. It, yeah. Yeah, and and he like and again, Joe pointed out like Woody Allen's Cafe Society in 2013. He dropped out of as well. Official reason given was Broadway was that he was performing in Broadway and there was a scheduling conflict. There are rumors that he had difficulty remembering his lines and had to read them off cue cards. Um, and there are similar allegations or reports from the Broadway show in which he was performing as well at the same time, which I believe was also his last Broadway appearance as well. And I think one of the the arguments about Willis which Andrew kind of brought up and mentioned, and I think I've seen it in a couple of places, and I think there's probably some truth to it, is, and it's it's something that, that kind of, that Joe alluded to as well, is the idea that obviously the movie star ecosystem has changed. We are now living in a world dominated by intellectual properties. Movie stars are incredibly rare. You have people like Tom Cruise and like Will Smith trying to figure out how to be movie stars in the modern landscape, where Cruise is like, yeah, my movie stardom is the Mission Impossible franchise. And Smith is like, yeah, let me do a superhero movie where I'm the star and it'll be awful. Or let me do the like a Disney remake where I'm playing a role that was previously played by a star so I can affirm that I'm still a star. Um, And you have this generation of leading men who kind of came up and are kind of adapting to that and can't figure out how to fit in they won't transform into character actors or supporting actors they insist on being the lead and i think that like um you know like brian lloyd who, who past and future guests the podcast has made the point that like you look at people like say al pacino and al pacino like is still making 
movies that are appearing on the bottom 100, but he's gone to television as well. He's done like HBO stuff and he's earned Emmy nominations and he's been well received and he's had kind of a career renaissance there. You look at like actors like Kate Winslet going on doing Mayor of Easttown. But some actors don't seem comfortable doing that. And like Bruce Willis is one of them. They mention also Nicolas Cage, Jason Statham, Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta uh, as examples as well. And the idea is that like this economy... I don't feel bad for Nicolas Cage though. Like I know <laughs> that like, like he's taking like he's, he's taking so serious, many but... roles. And like with, 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 with no kind of like... Um, filter on the quality. That's what I want, Nicholas Cage. To do. I feel but, like that is his joy. There, there's the, some, there's something kind of, yeah. Sorry, Joe. Uh, a, a very key difference, and one that you kind of were getting at was that uh, Cage seems to enjoy the the project, no matter what he does. And then well, Travolta, even Travolta in Gotti, like again, Gotti is not a good movie. Arguably, Travolta's not giving a good performance, but he's giving. A performance. He's he's uh, he's one hundred percent in. But he's he's dabbled in TV. He was in the yeah. uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson. Simpson. Yeah, yeah. and, Which and I thought he was quite good in that. Um, so he's yeah. still capable. I think Travolta and Willis are actually doing a Pulp Fiction reunion of sorts. They're making some low rent yes. movie in Hawaii. I think right now. Um, yeah. So wow. yeah, if if nothing else, <laughs> they'll get a good time. Yeah. Um, the, like with Bruce Willis, like different from kind of the people we mentioned, like Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, is that um, he was kind of checked out sometimes on on some of the kind of like projects he's on. Uh, yeah, he he looks like he he often looks like he's been woken up from a nap um, <laughs> in these films, and, and reluctantly at that. Like uh, yeah. not not happy to be awake. No, hasn't been given his apple juice yet. Like. Uh, annoyed to be there yeah and you kind of you kind of don't want to well you don't want to dunk on anyone really but you like especially like um don't want to when when somebody put their whole heart into something but when they don't it's kind of like it's fair yeah um yeah Uh, that's yeah when i was a critic i had that kind of criteria as well like so if a film was had good intentions and you know, it was a labor of love. I felt really bad reviewing it. And I might acknowledge that there was effort put into it and that there was heart there, even if the film turned out badly. But if the film is completely mercenary, like, I don't know, Transformers 4 or whatever, I don't really care about how bad I, how badly I review that film. And similarly, if there's, there's no visible effort and maybe even disdain for the viewer like I, I don't feel a huge loyalty to to um give it the benefit of the doubt can while we're talking about willis because like and, and just kind of broadly because this is one of the big debates among willis fans online the community in general because apparently they're very active have you seen like of his recent output i'm assuming like is myself, there, you have. Is there a forum called What You Talk About Willis? <laughs> or What You Talk About, comma, Willis? Um, sorry, colon, Willis. I beg your pardon. Where there's a Willis, Triumph of the Willis, but that's a very unfortunate website we're not going to talk about. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, I went there. Um, but I want lots of skinheads on that forum um, for various reasons. They insist it's a purely aesthetic choice. But 
like Joe, I'm going to assume like myself, you're not like a connoisseur. You're not like that big a Willis fan that you have waded into the direct-to-video stuff that you've kind of like, you consider yourself a connoisseur of the movies that he made with like Randall Emmett and stuff like that. But that you might like, are you familiar with like, say his more recent stuff that he did with M. Night Shyamalan, say Split and Glass? Have you watched those movies, for example? Um, I did see Split. I never got around to seeing Glass. Um, okay. Heard it's a bit of a pain. <laughs> no, I, I heard it's not great. Didn't um, shatter expectations, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, but no, I, I keep meaning to, to watch Glass, but it hadn't gotten great reviews. So I was like, uh, I'll watch it sometime. Um, but uh, I I loved Moonrise Kingdom and I like adored Looper. I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, the, first, mm. the first Red movie I was actually very fond of. Um, and then, as I said, like from, from around Moonlighting, to like god up to and including looper i would say i was a fan definitely a fan and around the 90s i was a big fan i was excited if there was a new bruce willis film coming out because a bruce willis film coming out was something like the fifth element or 12 monkeys and you because he's so versatile um like he's you know dabbled in romantic comedies and indie dramas and morose like no budget movies and then really weird kurt vonnegut adaptations and you you never know what what bruce willis is going to show up like and you never know um what genre it'll be well you you'd read the reviews but you'd um you never know what direction even if it's a sci-fi movie like 12 monkeys is very unconventional and it's totally different Mm. film from armageddon for instance or the fifth uh, element as you mentioned yeah yeah or the fifth element again and like he worked with loads of auteurs you know and it, it was actually really sad when he made pulp fiction and i absolutely love him in pulp fiction he's one of the best performances in like a star-studded cast bringing their a-game um and it really used his baggage of an aging movie star and then he got to play like a, a sweetheart with his girlfriend but he was also like a really ruthless violent guy who didn't care if somebody died in the ring it's really rich character and he had like reams of dialogue in it as well um and that taxi cab scene with esmeralda villa lopez i can't think that's her name um and then he had a great silent scene in that when uh he was getting the speech about taking the dive um near the very start of the movie and it was just, just on him yeah, yeah it's just cameras just on him listening to a speech about his career ending and it was really powerful um so yeah he can really deliver um but it was really sad when uh yeah when he picks duds and then when he picks duds that are like similar to superior films that he has done previously so like it's it was really sad when actors who had worked with tarantino started appearing in tarantino knockoffs like yes. Lucky Number Slevin and stuff. And well, okay, well, look, Lucky Number Slevin, I would argue, is near the top of the pile, and that is not to be considered an endorsement of Lucky Number Slevin. But yet, like Bruce Willis making Slevin once out upon of 10. a time, oh, Slevin out of ten. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> like Bruce Willis making Once Upon a Time in Venice, which is famously the movie in which he skateboards naked with a gun wedged in his butt. Um, directed by Mark Cullen, written by Mark and Rob Cullen, also starring like Jason Momoa and John Goodman. But yeah, that's a kind of like, a t- and Thomas Middleditch as well, to make it a completely cursed movie. But it's also like, that's that's the kind of like the Tarantino shame. cursed? No, no that, that's, that's fair. I mean, like, pre- The curse has been lifted. 
But yeah, I mean, this John, was the same year Justice League came out. John so I'm, I'm considering had nothing to do with that stuff that Roseanne <laughs> said on Ambien either. That's, that's fair, to be fair. Uh, but also starring Famaki Janssen as well. Um, and yes. Victor, yeah. <laughs> Two fifty favorite. But yeah, like yeah, Anna that that's. Herself. Yes, but that's Genial. that's the kind of like when I think of like Tarantino knockoffs, it's Bruce Willis naked riding a skateboard with a gun wedged up his butt, playing a private detective trying to find his dog in a knockoff film noir set in Venice Beach. Um, but yeah, sorry, sorry, that was just the movie that came to mind of Bruce Willis's late career. If you if you have a gun, like put it put it um, <laughs> thing. <laughs> sorry, is he? Um, is the gun pointing uh, downwards? Out, it's kind of like it, like oh no, it's, um, yeah, it's not it's not in. in, but it's it's not in. It's pointing down. It's like it's holstered. It's pointing down between the cheeks. Um, this is more thought than I think anybody working. Oh, it's not gave. up. It's <laughs> it's it's just nestled, like yeah, nestled, holstered. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. holstered. Yes, nature's holster. S- snug. Um, it's it's snug as it were. Um, we have talked far more than we need to about once upon a time in Venice, but I want to talk like. Just before we move off, like, the story of Bruce Willis, like, the thing that I find interesting are that there are, like, there are reports that, like, Bruce Willis still can be, uh, and we, like, we talk about how hard he is to work with and all these horror stories that exist, and those are all fair, and they'll be in the show notes as well, but there's also a sense in which, like, Willis can sometimes latch on to people late in his career, so, like, you look at, you read interviews, like, from the, the cast and crew working on this, for example, and they're like, actually, Bruce Willis was a bit of a sweetheart uh, because nobody could tell him what not to do. He would constantly ruin takes by like putting on silly hats and making funny faces, uh, which sounds like a very passive aggressive way of praising your co-star. But it certainly seems like he's a more pleasant individual than some of the, the stories would say. And the fact that like he's he's actually like developed his own little production posse as well. Like we mentioned, like we're going to be talking about Breach and Anti-Life today, but like that is a movie that involves, like it was written and produced um, by these guys and Willis has kind of latched onto them and decided that, so it's producer Corey Large and writer-producer Edward Drake and Willis will be working over the next year on no fewer than five other movies with those two individuals. Those movies are Reactor, Apex, Cosmic Sin, which is on course to make the bottom 100. It's currently available on Sky Cinema if you should choose to watch it. Gasoline Alley and Paradise City. So I kind of find it interesting that Will it and like was that more than five? No, Reactor a Reactor Apex, Cosmic Sin, Gasoline Alley, and Paradise City. That's five, and then this is the sixth. Um, nice. I do like that you keep uh, me on my toes. Gasoline Alley. Like so many. Uh, <laughs> Gasoline Alley in Paradise City is the title of one movie, is it? Yeah, just take it together. Um, but like, and, and even like John Suits, the director of this movie, and, and Joe found this independently during his research as well, because it was funny. Like one of the things Joe said was like, hey, if you want to make a quick buck, surely adverts are the way to do that. And Joe, would you like to talk about briefly about the other collaboration between director John Suits and actor Bruce Willis, the great creative partnership of our era? Yes. Um, so, yeah, it was actually quite disappointing. So there was a bit of hype about um, new Die Hard related announcement coming. Uh, it was kind of bubbling up on Twitter and Willis tweeted it. And uh, prior to that, there had been talk of rebooting the franchise and stuff like that and 
like a, a buzzy script was doing the rounds from an unknown writer about how to how one would reboot um, Die Hard, and um, there was there's still some, a lot of affection for the franchise. And then people were all excited. And then a few people were like, uh, this might be like that time they said there was going to be a new Crocodile Dundee movie. And that turned out to be an ad. And then cut to a day later, and it was an ad for car batteries. with uh, Advanced auto parts, diehard batteries. Sorry, yeah, yeah. That's, the ad clearly worked on Darren Mooney, who does not own a car. Uh, no. <laughs> but if so I he's did. a passenger in a car. Yeah. And yeah, someone like, were to turn to him and say, what kind of battery should we get there? <laughs> get an advanced auto parts diehard battery. Um, but yeah, no, like the rollout for this was incredible. We have like, been paid. We have, we have, like yeah. the, the, the check is, I'm just, I haven't cashed it yet. I haven't lodged it the account, but I'm sure it's good. Um, <laughs> but like, like Rumor Willis, like tweeted it out like the day before. She put it on her Instagram. Andy Samberg, like tweeted out the day before. Ooh, diehard announcement coming. And then it was, yeah, it's this two minute ad, which is like cursed. The ad is, the ad is cursed. There's no getting around it. It is, it is frankly terrible. That's they brought a great back ad, though. I mean, I mean, like they they say that like it doesn't really matter what effect an ad has on you, so long as like it has an ad, it has an, an effect, impression. and you remember what it's for. So you have like really good ads that win awards and that, but like the 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 great ads are like kind of uh, go compare and things like that that people can't <laughs> Just stand. Get lodged, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but a, a thing about that ad was that it was. Like celebrities do ads all the time. Uh, Schwarzenegger's um, Japanese ads are fantastic. You got to look them up. Um, Tommy it, Lee Jones's Japanese coffee remains one of my favorite. Coffee. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's every street in Japan. When when I was over there, it's like Tommy Lee Jones is just <laughs> everywhere, and it's just really angry face on <laughs> on these giant like coffee vending machines, which are amazing, by the way. They come. In, in cans and it's either cold or hot so like a hot can <laughs> of coffee comes out of like a vending machine you're like wow um, <laughs> don't touch those hot plates in the 7-elevens though S- sorry um, Joe no uh, but but the thing about it is like uh, those ads symbolize um, it, when, when they're pastiche of something that the star has done they symbolize the the actor saying I'm not going to do that role for real anymore. Uh, so Pierce Brosnan has done like Bond pastiche commercials. Um, so that's you can only really do that if you're not playing Bond anymore. So it was kind of Willis's way of saying like, not only will you never see another Die Hard film, almost certainly, but I'm announcing it in a way that's hawking car batteries so please buy my car batteries uh, so that was that's the the sad little late capitalist saga of the diehard batteries it's weird because it's not like a luxury kind of a, a that anyone could just go out and get <laughs> like you either need a car battery or you don't but um but maybe you're i haven't really, seen the ad which convinced you're, me you're to really just, kind of throw out my own car battery because my car <laughs> battery runs out sometimes when i leave the lights on maybe this new one doesn't 
Yeah, if you find yourself chased by terrorists again, it's going to be really convenient um, to have this diehard car battery. They also brought back the actor who played Argyle as well, um, and the actor who played the computer hacker. The um, it touchy scores, boom! It's toast. The quarterback is toast. Um, they brought back that guy as well, even though like because the ad is edited so terribly, you barely realize it until that character is dead again. But anyway, yeah, I'm not in the ad. Sorry. Uh, I'm, spoiler alert. We're not even in the spoiler zone. Sorry. I'm happy those guys got work. Fair, fair. Um, what I will say, um, also just like very quickly before we move off, Bruce Willis, like one of the interesting stories I find fascinating is the sense that like apparently even when he's phoning it in, there's some indication that he still kind of cares. Because um, again, like tracing back to, to, I think Griffin Newman said it on, on Blank Check. And I think like there's a story that Kevin Smith tells as well. Where like when he, what? Uh, Cop out, yeah. yeah. Yes, the the Kevin Smith movie that like crushed all of Kevin Smith's hopes and dreams about this man that he had loved. Looking forward to it, yeah. Of course he was. Like it was like he's Bruce Willis, and they did like live. They did Die Hard four point as well beforehand. Live free or Die Hard, I think. Yeah. He had a bad experience with the studio as well, Kevin Smith. Yeah. That that cop out was something. Was like, uh, sorry, I'm (laughs) going off. uh topic again i beg your pardon no i'm not like i mean like we are we are taking a wandering road but yeah i do i do love the idea that kevin smith's eager to blame cop out on anybody but kevin smith but like while he was making cop out apparently like the moment that like broke the relationship between smith and willis and apparently it's a moment that like willis will when he arrives on a set he will test his directors by asking them uh, which millimeter lens is on the camera? What are you going to shoot my performance with? Because I want to modulate my performance to suit the lens of the camera that you are going to shoot the scene with. And if the director can answer that question, you will apparently have very little trouble with Willis. He will know that you are a professional. He will be in for his day. He will get his million dollars and he will go home happy. Uh, if you do not answer that question to his satisfaction, apparently your life will become not worth living uh, for however long Willis is on the set. Um, that is apparently how things go. So that is how he tests his directors. Uh, in, so the story in fairness, if you're directing like a $50 million movie <laughs> with a movie star and $50 million is somebody else's money, um, I think it's a fair request to to know what different camera lenses are being used. <laughs> you know? Rather than it's, kind of fobbing it off on it's the like, It's like his job. Like, uh, yeah. It'd be like if... Um, you went to a barista and you say, uh, can I have a latte, please? And they'd be like, huh, uh, I just kind of wing it. I don't even know what a latte is. Um, I'll give you this. It's the foamy one, right? Yeah, it's the foamy one, right? Yeah, or or whatever. Like, I, I think if you're, I think Kevin Smith should have known how to do his job. Like, he was, he was given a blacklisted script with, like, studio money, like a TV star um, in the shape of Tracy Morgan, like a big movie star who who's capable of doing comedy in the shape of Bruce Willis. And like the the book has to stop somewhere. And Kevin, it's not like it's the only bad movie Kevin Smith's ever made. So it's arguable that it should what stop. What you're saying is him. Bruce Willis is the hero. Bruce Willis <laughs> is the hero of Cop Out is what I'm getting well, from this. Well, it's like... Like they could both be unprofessional jerks, but uh, <laughs> say, it's possible yeah, both are. But you know, Kevin Smith like is has been known to half-ass. Yeah, I wonder though if Bruce Willis is as self-aware as um, uh, Kevin Smith is. 
So I feel, I feel I feel like Kevin Smith kind of well maybe 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 every kind of actor and director is kind of um knows that some of their movies are punchlines. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But if you look yeah. at some of the other directors uh, Willis worked with, like Terry Gilliam or Quentin Tarantino, even Michael Bay, I bet those guys Robert know their Altman, camera. Yeah. Robert Altman, like uh, Alan Rudolph, like I bet those guys know what the camera lenses are. Yeah. Um, will we talk about Breach? Yes, that that was that was the, that was the kind of segue that I was kind of like going to get on there because I figure we've we've done the Willis talk. Uh, where there's a Willis, there's a Wayus. But yes, so let's talk about Breach. Let's talk about Anti Life, the movie that is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, Bruce Willis's latest entry on the bottom one hundred. Um, and yes, what an interesting movie it is. Darren says, raising his eyebrow. Like a lot of Willis movies, this seems to exist primarily so that they can put Willis's name on a poster and sell it internationally and sell it quite reasonably because that's the thing movie stars while they may not exist in hollywood they still exist in foreign markets and having a movie star you can slap on a poster means that you can sell a movie overseas so like anti-life breach was apparently before it was even made was sold like to the benilux countries to france uh scandinavia uh, united kingdom bulgaria ex-yugoslavia hungary poland romania cambodia japan malaysia um Panhaven, PTC, Middle East, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and to airlines as well. It was already pre-packaged and sold before it was even distributed. Um, it's, it's worth. It's easier to sell action as well, though, isn't it? Yes, because yeah. it doesn't require. Di- it's not as heavy on dialogue. It's like you, you just want to see stuff get blown up. Some of the, the trajectory of the movies that he's doing, I guess. That, like, that's fair. Because he as has well. both of those kind of cachets that do very well overseas. Um, and again, like the production companies on this are fascinating, even before we kind of jump into the movie itself as well. Um, it's produced by Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, which I, I found fa- well, like the logo that appears. And I checked their official website. They are. They own Crackle. Crackle is a streaming service that is most notable for producing Joe Dirt 2, an American hero. Um, but the tagline for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment is a fast-growing provider of positive and entertaining video content that brings out the very best of the human spirit. Um, And yeah, so that is apparently the company that backed this. (laughs) And we also make Breach. (laughs) We also made Breach and Anti-Life. Another company that is attached is Saban. But that's not all. It's like the next sentence, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, But But also, um, and like Saban Entertainment, uh, which... To be clear, is not the same as the Saban Film Group, which is responsible for Power Rangers in the 90s. This is instead an offshoot of Saban Capital Group, also founded by Hayam Saban. Uh, its output includes, but is not limited to, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, with Nicolas Cage, that's the shark movie from Jaws. Um, Martin McDonough's War on Everyone, starring Michael Pena and Selen Sarsgaard. Michael Caine's King of Thieves. And to bring it all full circle, the recent Jay and Silent Bob reboot from Kevin Smith. So everybody is in the Saban kind of game. I should probably single out, they do, I look through their filmography, they have one good movie, one movie I would consider to be worth checking out, and that is The Girl with All the Gifts. But yes, let's talk about Breach, let's talk about Anti-Life. So to kick us off, before we jump in, Joe, is Anti-Life one of the worst 100 movies you have ever seen? The short answer is no. Um, while it is not a good movie, it is 90 minutes. And uh, <laughs> like that makes it a good hour, sometimes more than an hour 
shorter than most, if not all, of the Transformers movies. So by virtue of being like an hour shorter than, say, Transformers 4, it's better than Transformers 4. Uh, Transformers 4 Dark of the Moon, thank you very much. Uh, no, Dark of the Wait. Moon was a different one. Okay, well, I think two... Rise of the Machines, Night Last Night. Curse of the Pearl, uh, the Black, <laughs> Black Pearl. <laughs> I, can't I think Dark of the Moon was the second one, but I, okay. I, I'm willing to be corrected on that. But yeah, like I think um, I'm not a big fan of Michael Bay. I thought the first Transformers was like, okay. Um, Do you like 90s Michael Bay movies? Uh, in like, that I, I, as somebody who likes kind of 80s and 90s action kind of action, stars, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I like The Rock. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Like, like yeah. the, it's the one in kind of like in my in my head. Yeah, that's, was Bad Boys one of his as well. Yeah, that was. Bad that's Boys okay. and Bad Boys too. Um, but I don't like the Transformers films nor Armageddon, um, which is like half his career. Um, so, so anyway, Breach. Yeah, like it's it's not great. I found it uh, very pedestrian. Uh, it takes a good. 20 minutes or nearly half an hour before an actual like exciting incident happens uh, which is really surprising for a no budget 90 minute action movie and I think you're being generous there like I, I would argue it's about you're about 40 45 minutes in before anything of note actually happens no there's a, the, the first infection happens about 20 yeah. minutes in I wrote it down yes but the, the uh, nothing actually happens from that infection for a little while longer as well if you okay sorry. fair I, I would argue, I, but sorry. I thought the tension was okay, though. Like, like, in parts. They did a good job at points of of kind of um, in injecting some tension in. Like, some movies that I really like, nothing happens for, 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 for like, almost all, the, the entire movie. And they do a good job of kind of um, keeping keeping you kind of, like, tense. Like, like a most violent year. Oh, and, I love that um, movie. Yeah. It was, it was and and even like stuff like Roma, um, there there was always that kind of like sense that kind of like nothing has really happened, but some uh, something is kind of coming. Coming, yeah. There's uh, so yeah. something portentous out. I do love, by the way, this is the only podcast where anti life will be compared to Roma, um, and a most violent year. Um, <laughs> I'll be it unfavorably. But uh, I, but yeah. But like to push back against Joe's point there about the 90 minute runtime, just very gently, what I would say is as somebody who like watches a lot of movies, I will like I have somehow watched Zack Snyder's four hour cut of Justice League four times for my sins. And I will say that that combined that combined 16 also hours. That's an anti-life movie. <laughs> that is also an anti-life movie. But I will say the, like the anti-life equation. equation yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what they're looking for or whatever. I've yeah. heard of this before. But like, I suspect that might be a reason why it was rebranded. But anyway, I like having watched that 16 hours of that still seems shorter than the 90 minutes of the Melissa McCarthy movie Thunder Force uh, streaming on Netflix. I will say I will say that like the Ebert quote of like no good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough does apply. I don't think anti-life quite hits that like what am I doing with my life 60 minutes into a 90 minute movie phase. But I, I do think. I would push back gently against the idea that shorter is is always good. I'm not always saying. I'm not saying that okay. though. I'm not saying shorter okay. is always good. I'm saying it. It's a grace though when it is short. Is, I, yeah. I'm yeah. saying a 90 minute bad movie is better than a two and a half hour bad movie. 
Oh, okay. That's my my thesis. That's that's my Griffin's razor. <laughs> but my my kind of my, my my thesis point is that like it's like a black hole at a certain point. At a certain point, gravity just gets too long. Like I felt like I was twenty hours into Thunder Force, and it was like somehow there's seventy minutes left in this. Ah, um, but but you would have liked it even less if it was an hour longer, mm. right? Yeah, like, mm. like Darren as well is a very like you're always busy, Darren. So like you 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 have other things to be doing. Like you should be more grateful than most people you know, for when a movie kind of ends after an hour and a half. I was certainly always grateful when I when especially for these bottom one hundred when I see that 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 is short. Um, I I think that uh, I remember there's an interview with Jordan Peele. I heard ages ago and he said that uh, directing is about taste and uh, it's it's one of my favorite quotes and it it stays with you like all the time so when you're watching something and the score is a bit chunky or performances have bad takes in them or um, like in that Star Wars film Hayden Christensen had a rat's tail um, it's like <laughs> There's always that's the only problem with Attack of the Clones. Yeah, a, a blemish. <laughs> it, it can be the point is I think that it can be a very small thing. Like, yeah, yeah, it just yeah. indicates like somebody here Taste. like doesn't know what good means. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I also think that that um, comes to running time as well. Um, so knowing like Michael Mann knowing to give a long running time to heat to allow the characters to breathe. And then you feel things more deeply when there's like the action scenes do happen. Um, and then when you watch like a lot of those gangster films from the thirties and forties and they can move at a great clip. There's a, the French movie that came out a year or two ago called lost bullet. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's really fun. Uh, it's on Netflix. And if you tweet about it favorably, which I've done about six times, the director will always like it, which is really nice. And I know it's a nice, uh, but it's I it's a crime. Enjoy that with movies. And when I used to be on Twitter, there would be some movies where, like, the per- they they've they've gotten a person to to um, work on this like twenty four hours a day or something. <laughs> you know, where there was like there was like some kind of uh, movie that I hadn't even seen. But it, it was um, actually no. I think I was watching on an airplane. It was like one of these where where like old people go to Vegas or something. It was <laughs> one of these movies that that's Las kind of Vegas, like, possibly Las <laughs> Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, even if people like insult the movie, they'll like respond and say, "No, it's really great." <laughs> you know, I I really enjoy that because nice. it, it it makes you like the, 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 <laughs> the movie a bit the more. Uh, yeah. Oh, but what I was going to say about sorry, Lost Bullet is um yeah, that's about ninety minutes long as well, and it's um like a crime movie with lengthy action scenes and a reasonably elaborate story about like framed man like fighting for justice and all this and uh it's all wrapped up in 90 minutes and it's as tight as a drum and it's so skillful and so that i i often think not always but i often think that films are too long and you can see where it's too long you can see where the flab is and so i think the taste um of filmmaker can come into play there so and i think even in something like breach uh like making a pulpy ripoff of the thing crossed with Alien 
at least he has the good grace not to stick around for like two hours. You know, like Space Jam 2 is two hours made for five-year-olds. How many five-year-olds have you met that can sit down for two hours? So, have you seen Space Jam A New Legacy? No, actually, I'm very likely to see it soon because my daughter wants to see it. But I haven't seen it yet. Um, good, good luck with that. It's <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, sure, like. She might love it. Like, do 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 we know that kids don't like it? Yeah. Oh, she she likes all sorts of shit. There's, yeah, there's every chance like, she will like. I, I remember like knowing people who who have like kind of children or nieces and nephews, and they they were really frustrated that they didn't like better movies. Oh, that, like, just, like why they, won't you watch Pixar? Yeah, it's like why are you watching yeah. DreamWorks? Yeah, it was like, like there was there was there was the bad kind of. I mean, seemingly it was bad. I haven't seen it, but the the Cat in the Hat movie was all that this child wanted to watch. Well, Andrew, um, we can fix that for you if you want. <laughs> is it Andrew's in the pick? 100? Yeah, Andrew's pick for our December bottom one hundred episode is the Cat in the Hat. I've seen that movie. Um, <laughs> but anyway, breach. So I would I would describe it as not one of the hundred worst movies I've ever seen. Not just because of its merciful running time. Uh, I just describe it as deeply mediocre. Um, I think the cast is all okay. Um, I thought that it had some really interesting ideas that it didn't quite capitalize on. So, like, in one of the first... So the premise we should probably describe is uh, it's set in the near future and the Earth is ravaged and uninhabitable and there is a planet that they found called Earth 2 and this spaceship... New Earth, I think it is. I think it's Earth 2. Um, okay, Earth I could 2 be... I thought was the Sky TV show. That It could be. Actually, maybe they, it's New Earth. They actually got an advertisement. Oh, sorry, you're right. It is yes. New Earth, yeah, because it's like New York. Yeah, um, they paid an advertising agency millions of dollars to come yeah, up with that one. You're right, yeah, or a New Haven or a New sorry. Amsterdam or whatever, yeah. So anyway, uh, there's already people waiting at New Earth and then the, the last or one of the last spaceships off the planet... Um, is boarded by the protagonists of this movie and they include uh, this guy called Noah. I was really hoping his surname... He's on an ark? I was, I was really hoping his surname would be Zark. Uh, <laughs> but but it turned out not to be the case. They're, they're on uh, the Herc, which is the, name of the, is the name of the ship, which sounds like Ark. Well, it right. is also I, I, technically an Ark ship, to be fair. It's mm, carrying yeah. life. Yeah, so anyway... So this is Noah's Ark. Yes. Yeah, and then there's a... So the first interesting question that they just, like, absolutely skate over is who are the passengers on the ship? And, like, we, we spend most of the time with the staff, with, like, the security, the, the custodian staff, yeah. And um, the actual passengers are in a deep sleep, like in 2001 or one of many lengthy space travel movies. And uh, or passengers actually reminded me of, um, but I'd love to have known how did those people get on the ship? What is it a lottery? Are they geniuses? Or is it just is it just there rich? is some suggestion to a lottery? There is some suggestion mm. of a lottery. I think at one point uh, somebody claims to have won a lottery. They have mm. to have a negative COVID test as well, or, 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 or <laughs> prove that before. they're vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, oh uh, yeah, that's a good idea. So, or is it just like rich jerks, uh, which is the way it's going? here right now on earth uh, so that that would have been a little interesting thing to explore and then we find out that there's people who disapprove of repopulating a new planet and they're 
is that, oh, are they going to be the antagonists? And again, that's not really properly explored. And again, could be really interesting. And the thing is, uh, oh, so anyway, the plot is there's a kind of a, a viral infection and it turns crew, the crew members violent and Noah has to fight for survival with his old curmudgeonly colleague who's washed up. Clay. Uh, Clay, uh, played by Bruce Willis. There's actually a really funny first scene or early scene with Bruce Willis where he meets an old friend and he punches him and floors him. And then he helps him up and he's like, ah, good to see you or something like that. Oh, and it's a, yeah, it's a new riff of, you know, in like, in movies like you son of a bitch yeah, yeah. Like, you, you got a lot of nerve showing your face around here and then they go uh, uh, and then they hug each uh, other and it's like did they used to be in an improv group together is that why they act like that like, <laughs> and they do it every time and i've never seen anyone actually do that in real life and actually punching somebody and maybe knocking a tooth out is taking it a bridge too far it shows that the person who wrote that scene didn't really understand what's going on in all those other scenes that he's like ripping off. Well, now in, in any future movies, it won't be enough just to kind of Josh. You have person. to escalate. You have to yeah, put you have your to... finger in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah. Ah, you old son of a gun, he says, as he kicks him repeatedly in the crotch. <laughs> <With a baseball bat. laughs> you got a lot of nerve. Um, so anyway, yeah, the Noah, whose last name is Zark, and... Uh, Bruce Willis have to solve this mystery and fight these zombie-esque uh, crewmates. And that's kind of the gist of the story. Uh, if you think it's a bit like Alien or The Thing, you're right. It's a lot like those. Um, Just a bit. Yeah, but a, an issue I had with the movie is that my favorite kind of movie is the kind that's really fun and also about something. And I know that that's very broad, uh, but uh, like I, I'm happy to watch films that are just about something, like Mike Lee or Ken Loach or something like that. I'm happy to watch films that are really fun and not about anything really, like Fast and Furious Nine. Um, but my favorite kinds of movies are the likes of Minority Report or Looper, actually, which we talked about, um, which are like great fun, great value, popcorn entertainment. Terminator 2 is actually a classic example. Um, but also that you feel like the filmmaker has something to say as well. Uh, Black Panther, another example. So it's not like with Black Panther, it's not like a big long didactic lecture on colonialism, but it does reach millions of people who would never have seen a film about colonialism. Um, so, or like X-Men, especially X-Men 2, about tolerance and uh, Robocop. Whether, Robocop, great example. Yeah. yeah, Starship Troopers, another great example. Um, Paul Verhoeven movies. Yeah, Paul Verhoeven. So, like, you you can feel there's there's a bit of a debate there. It's a bit, the person making it is interested in either the human condition or something to do with politics or current affairs. So there's, like, a bit of nourishment, you know. It's, it's still, like, a cheeseburger. But there's a side of broccoli and yeah or even like satire like yeah like satire really like, good satire 
Yeah, like Duck Soup or Doctor Strange Love or something like. Yeah. Yeah, well, science fiction tends to like draw itself towards that, like stuff mm. like Brazil, for example, Twelve Monkeys, to mention the Gilliam stuff. Yeah. Like it's ripe for that sort of like just taking something and exaggerating it. But yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Like not so, not to jump into what we're going to ask on the other side of the spoiler zone, but I don't think there's that level of substance here. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating because uh, it doesn't offer the kind of visceral, skillful. John Carpenter yeah. kind of low budget B movie thrills, uh, nor does it have the subtext and ambition <laughs> of the uh, like secretly smart blockbuster movies like Verhoeven mm. and Cameron do. Um, so uh, it's it's like there's neither eating nor drinking in it, and that that was kind of the frustrating part of it. Another kind of frustrating aspect of it as well is that it lacked style and panache, and I. I know the budget can only stretch so far, but there's loads of low and no budget films um, that do. Have well, you style. mentioned Carpenter. Like you yeah. mentioned, Carpenter is is the king of this. Carpenter's never had a reasonably sized budget uh, making his movies, uh, and he's turned out classics. Uh, movies like Halloween, which basically codified the modern slasher, even if it didn't technically invent it. Um, shot in a shoestring budget with like all the cast that are you know outside of Jamie, no, Lee, even Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, like and, yeah, and they live. Work it even adds to the movie. Yeah, yeah, that like how the, empty it, it all kind of gives it a weird kind of a sense. Yeah, yeah, and even things like say Escape from New York as well, which is like a science fiction movie set in dystopian New York that was again shot on a tiny budget with very little time. Um, Joe, but because Carpenter knew they live, they live, yeah, as well. Yeah. Like and like and again, like Carpenter's thing, and this is like not to jump too far into like talking about like anti-life and breach and how it's shot. Like one of the things about Carpenter as a filmmaker is that he his first thing, like so outside of his only two of his movies, uh, which I believe are Dark Star and Session Nine, his first and his last movie. Those are the only two movies in his filmography that are not shot in anamorphic widescreen uh, on a steady cam. Uh, because he understands that like the important thing isn't that a movie is expensive, it's that it looks like the audience expects an expensive movie to appear. So you want to look like you know where you're putting the camera, you want to look like everything is where it should be, you want it to look like the frame is big enough that anything you put in it is there consciously. And one of my big problems with Breach and Anti-Life is that every single shot in it is handheld. The camera is always shaking and quivering. And it's not even during, ten like during establishing shots, the camera is like shaking back and forth and nothing is clearly in focus. It doesn't know what it's showing you or why it's showing you. It doesn't know where the camera is like supposed to be to be looking at what it's doing. It doesn't use interesting angles to like heighten the tension or suspense. It always shoots the action either kind of head on or, or at kind of like, or at whatever angle it can get to get as many actors in the shot as possible. It's a very shoddily made movie even by the confines of a B-movie, sorry. The edit is very poor as well. Uh, yeah. Like, there, there's so many times in the movie where there's, like, a, um, you know, a moment of tension where they're, they're, like, facing off against the alien and then it just runs. Like, and all the tension goes out of it and you're like, what is the shoot <laughs> thing? Like, what are you... Like the this the 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 moment of like kind of terror, and you're going to start talking to, you know what what. Yeah. 
Well, to what, be fair, what at, are you doing? East... You you've done the thing where you've kind of wandered through like on, on your way to it, and now you've got there, and there's <laughs> only like one way to like get to it now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the the use of the space that they have um, is really poor as well. Like I said, it's it looks like a a leisure land play quasar kind of arena like playing and. You can make that work. There's that movie Cube, um, yes, which was only shot like movie. in one location, and they lit it differently. So they give the impression that somebody's about to climb up through the ceiling and then emerge from the, the floor, floor in the, the same next room. room. Um, but yeah. the the lighting is different. So it goes from like a red room to a green room or whatever. And it gives the optical illusion of creating a totally different room. And that's amazing. Like uh, It's so inventive so there's none of that here um, here here shots are like framing constantly frames that like they're showing the ceiling and the ceiling is just this like white pane and it like it's possible it's part of the set design if it is it's probably bad set design but like the set looks grungy and it looks scrappy but then you'll see the top of the set and the top of the set is just a white space that is shiny like overlit and kind of bright and it looks like either the director didn't realize that he was shooting like the top of the frame the top of the set and couldn't see by or like the lighting is just horrible and it's overlit for what should be as he pointed out like it's alluding to something like the thing something like alien where the entire point of alien is that this this place is grimy and dirty and dark and underlit it's it's a it it's a weird kind of a space trucker kind of notion here because this this is like the ship that's going to presumably take like only the best people from <laughs> Earth away. And is, it, it feels strange to me. There, there's like at least two, maybe as many as five custodians, right? Mm, yeah. And there's like a crew, uh, uh, like um, a live crew of uh, 20 or so, maybe yeah. 15, 20. Like, why does it take so many people to clean the toilets? Yes. And clean yeah. up after, like, But why are the toilets people? in such a terrible state? clean up after themselves? Yeah, yeah why, why are the toilets in... There's, like, stuff, <laughs> like, just streaming off the walls. They have to use, like, the, the most extreme, like, like cleaning where? products to the extent that... Anyway, sorry. Like, like, has only... this arc been used before? Like it, like, it looks like a used future, although you're like, what circumstance... Has. Okay, okay. I think I think Bruce Willis has been there and back like a few right. times. Okay, before. that's fair enough. Um, okay. But yeah, it, the implication you're making there, Andrew, is that the toilets are in the right state and that they wouldn't be if those guys weren't working there. So it's kind of like a self-perpetuating problem. Like, <laughs> man, these jacks are in a state. We have to hire about five guys. Oh, now the jacks are in a worse state. Let's hire another five. <laughs> yeah. Um, if it's are, just like the custodians that are making the most mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really shouldn't have hired that guy with irritable bowel syndrome. The toilets yeah. took a real turn after that. Okay, like, we, sh- like, we should probably like jump into the spoiler zone, so I'm going to rush through the questions. But I, like to, to, um, to, to Joe's point, um, it's worth knowing this was shot in 15 days. Uh, it was shot in Fitzgerald, Georgia, so it was actually shot in the United States, not in Eastern Europe. I suspect it wasn't 15 million. For, uh, for Bruce. Bruce. No, no, it was he not. He took a few days off. He took quite a few days off. Well, you can tell, like, and it's really interesting because, like, he is present physically, if not emotionally, for a significant stretch of this movie, at least compared to a lot of his other work. But you can also That's tell. That's a real school teacher line. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think. 
you. Um, but like you could tell also that like Thomas Jane was also present physically, but not emotionally, but not for that many overlapping days. Um, and you can also tell that like for some reason it looks like the CGI monster refused to be on set with Bruce Willis the way that this is shot and edited. It's like they just they had some beef in the past and couldn't make it work. But like you have things like Rachel Nichols who's in there talking about like how she used to star and she started in like G.I. Joe. And it was like, you know, I did with G.I. Joe, Sienna Miller and I, Sienna Miller and I had Sienna Miller and I had six weeks of fight training before we even started. Whereas when we were working on Breach, we had to learn a lot of stuff on the day. And luckily, there weren't any massive fight sequences that required learning in advance. There's no time for prep and practice. But you have a good stunt coordinator. If you have a stunt coordinator, actors will listen and do stuff on the fly. It's a completely different experience. I think they did quite well, though, in in like like some of that stuff. You know, that it wasn't like... um, uh, shot particularly well or edited particularly well but like in terms of the action i felt like the um they were they they were moving kind of as if they were soldiers you know they kind of um uh just maybe like you know straightforward stuff but i remember watching it and thinking like it's 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 strange and this it's jarring that this isn't worse Kind of yeah. based on like the <laughs> other aspects of the movie, I guess. Um, and it was all shot like in a gym- gymnasium. Like Joe joked that it was a quasar arena. Apparently, it used to be a gym. That is that is what it was. Um, all right then. So Andrew, because I think Joe answered both the questions, I'm going to fire both of them at you now. Do you think that Anti Life is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? And do you think that Breach is one of the worst 100 movies that you have ever seen? Um, no, I, I I I don't think it's like it's. It's bad, and it's uh, stupid, but there, there, there's like the possibility of a good movie in it. There's sort of, um, I think, like Joe mentioned, there, there's kind of interesting ideas maybe hinted at but not developed upon, and, um, yeah, like I'll, I'll only repeat like a lot of the same things that that that, that Joe said. I think there, I think there's worse movies out there as well. Um, and that this was just um, kind of um, bad, but like not an um, abomination onto the Lord or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't especially bored. I didn't, I wasn't like really itching to turn it off um, in particular. Um, All right. Um, I, I would kind of agree with both of your assessments. I don't think it's one of the worst 100 movies ever made. It's certainly not one of the worst 100 movies I've ever seen. We should note that Vulture ranked Breach as Bruce Willis's fifth best direct-to-video movie. So this is apparently the Ooh. creme de la creme. This is one of the good ones. By the way, it might be one of the 100 worst movies I've ever seen. But I, I, like, I probably haven't <laughs> seen that many bad movies. Like, I have no obligation to kind of watch more than kind of you know 20 minutes of a movie that's that fair. i'm not enjoying <laughs> that's yeah. fair outside Unless of podcasts, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, we like have I, done I mean, 250 um, odd more, episodes more than, at this point yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point we're on about 260 at this point but yeah like elizabeth vincentelli who like did like a, a tour of his like from 2013 to the present day filmography also argued this is a masterpiece of late willis work so i just want us to absorb that um, there's five more to come yeah <laughs> like from this same creative team um all right then and then finally before we jump into the spore zone joe One if listeners gotta be 
quite good, right? Statistically, right? It's got to balance that. One of them has to be a masterpiece, right? Of, of American cinema. Um, but just to, before we jump into the spoiler zone, like if listeners have not seen um, Anti-Life, and it is available on Netflix internationally, worldwide, so it is easy to hand for a lot of viewers, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? Um, no, I would not. No, no, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not a snob. Uh, I, I love B movies. I love action movies. I love Bruce Willis. I, even with all those caveats, if I didn't greatly enjoy the film, it is unlikely that you, dear listener, will greatly enjoy the film. And Andrew. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to listen to us talk more about it. Like you, 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 you. I don't know. Some of the performances, aside from Willis, I, 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 I thought were decent. Um, it it's, does it's, have it's, a decent cast. Like to be fair, like Cody Kersley, for example. In a few ways. Ooh, interesting. We'll save that um, for the spoiler zone. And um, like for that reason, if you're the kind of person who is dealing with things that are happening in the world in that manner and want to consume kind of like more and more. Um, <laughs> and if that is helping, <laughs> then, um, then maybe check it out. Um, but yeah, it would, it would be it, it, it almost like a not, not recommending it or say a qualified recommendation if, um, if this is scratching a sort of an itch that you have. Because I like there, 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 there are things for me, like if a, for for me, for example, if a movie has Christopher Walken in it, then I will watch it, like no matter no matter what. Uh, and he makes so he's in so many bad movies. Well, this is the um, Richard. E, this is the Roger Ebert like Sean Connery rule, where Sean Connery will add a star to the quality of any movie that he's in. Right. So like Entrapment right. so, goes from a one star to a two star kind of thing. Yeah. So if you were watching like Contagion, like last kind of um april or like <laughs> late march then maybe this is a movie for you it was I, like the, top of the charts it on, was it topped itunes yeah. yeah like it was it was like a bigger success than it was when it was first released i would argue contagion is a much better movie than this that would oh, be like yeah, out yeah, of yeah. but if you've run through all of them and you just kind of want more and more if you're making a podcast about <laughs> these kinds of movies then then, then maybe that this is. is for you um for myself um i would say no, just watch just watch Alien. Um or the just watch Alien and watch the thing and then join us in the spore zone. You'll be able to follow along regardless, I think. You'll also be up to speed for when we cover Alien in about two weeks as well. So uh that's that's kind of my my guarded cheeky recommendation on that. With that in mind then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! <laughs> 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 so, Joe, having having set yourself up earlier by saying that anti-life is not about anything in particular, what is anti-life about for you? <laughs> it's about 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> With credits. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm guessing... If, if they are trying to say it's about something, it's about... Um, Let's be more ecologically responsible because the idea of inhabiting another planet as a backup might not work out. That's what I think it if it does if it is about something sad. Also, like 
the importance of duty and family and stuff like yes. that is wrapped up in it as well. It's got that very broad, I think Andrew pointed out, like in terms of making it available for international audiences, like one of the things that we've we've seen is that like recent years, family has become the recurring motif for all these big blockbusters. You know, it's like, like you mentioned F9, F9 is about how, you know, you don't got friends, you got family, you know, that sort of stuff. And you never turn your back on family, even when they turn their back on you, Joe. Uh, and one of the big arguments has been that, you know, the embrace of this theme of family is because family is a non-political so you can put it in a blockbuster and you won't get people complaining about how your blockbuster is is like woke and scare quotes or whatever it is it's not like a, a liberal movie or anything like that or progressive uh you can also sell it internationally because like everybody loves family right um there's no way that it seems like it's a loaded kind of die but because like your family or your family like yeah. you, you you might fall out they might kill han but at the end of the day <laughs> family yeah that's um, what it all comes down to um but what about yourself andrew because you kind of suggested you were interested in the, the kind of themes or the things that it was trying to say what, what is it trying to say yeah it, it it feels to me kind of um um, um uh, a seditious movie against the, the 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 kind of church of techno optimism um this idea that we're all going to, the Jeff Bezos idea, we're all going to go into space, we're going to build cities, yeah. we're going to start a new somewhere like, else. That's some of thing. the richest people in the world are um, are not investing in improving the world. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, escaping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or otherwise kind of, to, to, like, uh, it, it'll, I mean, I won't be naive, part, part of the... Um, part of the solution will be like true technology and my solution to these things would probably require like the population to drop to about 650 million <laughs> like you know <laughs> if we lived off the land that's not going to could happen without like all of the um uh, artificial fertilizers that we've gotten used to and the whole reason like there's so many of us now is for all of these things that are also destroying the world um but um, it, 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 I, I, I thought it was interesting because, number one, they're, they're, they're going to this other planet as a kind of a solution. But it, it, it's kind of like in Futurama where you, where you kind of, you know, you've, you've, you, you fire the, the garbage, garbage out of space. space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like solving the problem forever. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it, it's a bit like on... I don't know, you, you guys probably have met people who are really keen to live in another country. And I've, I've met people who, uh, like, uh, obviously, lots of people emigrate and all that, and there's valid reasons to do so. Um, but there's there are people who will live in another country for a year or two, not like it, and then live in another country for a year or two. And I know people who've lived in, like, several countries who never quite put down roots. And... Some of them have said, like, oh, I'm just, I can never get happy here. It's just not right and blah, blah, blah. And then they move to another country, often within Europe. And the thing is, often you won't be happy because it's still you. Like, I, if, yeah. I, if I go to live in France or America or New Zealand or Australia, I'm still me. So whatever, yeah. whatever emotional baggage I'm also packing, uh, that will still be with me in in Sydney or Tokyo or whatever. And that theme is touched upon, but not explored. So yeah, we can like 
if we find another planet that's exactly like Earth and has all of its resources and Earth is like a planet on easy mode, um, <laughs> yeah. the, like we're still us and we'll still wreck it. Yeah, we'll mess it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's what the Europeans did to the New World. Like, kind of, yeah. the, just like everything died. Like, we yeah, spoke yeah. about it, I think, when we were talking about um, Indiana Jones, Indiana the, Crystal, Jones. the Crystal Skull, of all things. But the great killing, like, of like 90% of the population. And that's the great danger kind of, of us going to other planets, is not <laughs> of there being something there. That will, <laughs> that will destroy us. It's of us yeah. being there. It's, it's us ruining everything. Them. And yeah. then and then making uh, like Western movies about how scary <laughs> these aliens were. And how we um, brought civilization to New Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the, 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 the interesting thing as well is that the peril of this movie is kind of vaguely man-made. It, yeah. it feels well, like the, the actor is kind of improvising, yeah. <laughs> like, but, where he's, he's like, ah, oh, it's experiments. Yeah. What, uh, what is, like, that's the thing, is that it's never really explained kind of what, what of this thing is. To, to be fair, that is yeah. fair. But, like, when they're trying to explain kind of what this is, because it's Teak, right? So Teak is the character, and again, like, for a B-movie, reasonably good cast. So that is Callan Mulvey is the character, yeah. who you may remember as the Russian from Batman versus Superman. But he's asked, basically, uh, you know, what what is this? You know, did you find it? Did you cook it up in a lab? Did it fall from the sky? Where is it from? The experiments, he says. So they made it. No, we didn't make it. We brought it back. You brought it back from where? Another planet? Another universe? Maybe it was here from before the universe. And it's like, wh- what? Like, it sounds well, how like you've it... no idea. <laughs> yeah, what the hell this thing is? You're just talking. You're just making noise yeah. with your mouth. Like, which I find, like, it's you, so... You're very junior, aren't you? Like, you, 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 you have nothing to do with this. They no. told you very little. They, they, <laughs> they wouldn't let me in that lab. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's it's from uh, from another planet, maybe another universe, maybe before the universe. But yeah, like he's, he's, he's so whimsical. Yeah. Maybe yeah. before it's, universe. It's, yeah. I'll just admit you didn't do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> just admit the reason we're in this situation is because you didn't read the pamphlet they gave you, so you want to destroy an ark. Um, but yeah, like I find. And again, this is something where it's a very shallow... Like, I think Joe is entirely right. Where it looks like this is the product of a bunch of people who have watched a bunch of movies, like a bunch of movies, but haven't really thought about the mechanics of why those movies work. And instead are just like, let's throw a bunch of things that we associate with movies. So as you said, the moment where it's like, you son of a gun. Instead, it's just punch him in the face and then pick him up and continue as if we're friends. Because you've watched Predator and that like arm wrestle sequence is really cool. Um, And here it's like, what if it's uh, another universe? No, before. It's old. It's old, man. It's from before the universe, when the universe was young. Yeah, it was a hint of uh, Event Horizon to that. A bit of yes, uh, which is a great movie, by the way. Yes, it Paul Paul W S Anderson's uh, best movie, I would argue. Yeah, and like even things like the little tent, like it it's constantly ripping off much better movies. So things like the 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 tendril coming out of its mouth is very alien alieny. No reason kind why of... that should happen. Yeah, like they no. they establish in the movie that it's just kind of mauler. <laughs> like, you, you, you know like silly buddy goop yeah. kind of that that like 
will I, I animate you. Animate you. So but like, there, there's no need for these these the tendrils tongues and and the 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 creature that becomes later. I did like that you have like people's faces in 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 that. Like I, I like Alien Resurrection. Yeah, and the arm, like I kind of like that when he blows the things up and the arms are kind of twitching. As silly as that looks, as much as that looks like an ADV yes. movie, I kind of like the idea of it at least. But sorry, they, Joe. They, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say I I quite like the monster design. Um, it had kind of a Harryhausen-esque uh, quality to it. It was kind of charming and disgusting at the same time. I did like the limbs moving independently as well. It was fun. But yeah, the, the fireworks factory, to use a Simpsons reference, they didn't get to that for like an hour, maybe. Well, I mean, like the structure of the movie is weird because it t- takes like Bruce Willis is, is in the movie more than he's in most of his movies. But it's still like he doesn't show up for 10 minutes and then he's absent for long stretches and then he's back and then he's gone again. And like it really does feel like this is a 93 minute movie. You should be introducing all of this stuff earlier. Like there's a like there's a prologue sequence which looks really expensive because it's it's shot outside and there are crowds um and like you're like maybe if you cut that you could allocate the budget and the time to do something on the standing sets that you have that would be more effective it opens like a tv movie which is very weird as well because it doesn't its title cards are just overlaid like a 90s tv show some of them are is, very chintzy yeah too, the title cards you can you kind of like your attempt to read a book by its cover yeah when 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 you see some of these bottom 100 movies and some of the production companies, like Joe kind of alluded to earlier, don't don't have that taste. And you see it in even... Oh, the in the logo cards. that appears on yeah, screen, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I want to mention just because you mentioned like the kind of like the, the aboutness and stuff like that. And the kind of like the future and the stuff that it's saying about mankind's future. Again, something that feels like it's copied but poorly from a lot of more modern films is like the weird motivation that we get for the bad guys, where the bad guys are like, look, mankind is a stain upon the cosmos. We had our one chance. Let's destroy it by blowing it all up. Um, And like, again, that feels like it's one of the big things that you see in modern movies where bad guys' motivations are increasingly just like nihilism. So like so much of the MCU villains are like largely nihilist. They want to bathe the universe in darkness. They want to kill half the universe, all that sort of stuff. But like Thanos is kind of an environmentalist. If if yeah. if, if, if if this was some sort of a plan to kind of like make sure that we don't do the same thing to this new planet that we that we, that we've done here, like I would kind of buy it. But like like there there are very few people on Earth now who just want the world to end. Yeah. Um, and which is like, what these like people the, seem to the want. The debate which is, is like, like how to save the world and whether yeah. we're doing enough and whether the things we're doing are, are kind of like... Uh, As opposed to here where the bad guys are the bad guys and their motivations are literally like, let's blow up the, the universe, let's kill mankind as a whole. I mean, like there, there's lots of little things like that. Like there's the moment early on where where like Clay, Bruce Willis, kind of looks across at Stanley, the character played by Timothy V. Murphy. Um, and he's like, hey, look, it's a space Nazi. And I was like, oh, is this guy like when you throw the term Nazi around in 2020, it has very specific connotations. And it seems like the movie is like, no, he's just he's just a bit strict, really. He's just a bit of a military dude. That is his sole character. He doesn't believe like he he, he doesn't let them finish breakfast. Yeah, that's what they, makes him a Nazi. They, they, they leave behind like food. There's so much food waste. You can see <laughs> it looks like they were having pizza. 
Um, for breakfast? For breakfast. Yeah, there are crusts. There are crusts. Yeah. It's, it's such a way. That, they, that's, like, you, that's, I, that might be in the future what they do, you know? Yeah. Brinner. It's, it's, it's dinner yeah. for breakfast. Um, or and then, breakfast. like, you wouldn't need so many custodians, like, if you finish your meal. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's why the toilets are in the state that they are, Andrew, to put it quite frankly. Give, it's because they, 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 all of the herb dips are in, like, cryostasis. <laughs> So they then they don't like crusts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Brinner, you'll love it. <laughs> yeah, it's the it truly is, is the it, future. That's is it, that's did it, you don't have a Yul Brenner joke? Maybe next time. I liked your delivery. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was referring to the actor Yul Brenner, but yeah. Um, I was more referring to breakfast for dinner, which uh, maybe, is a, I thought, a fad a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think the Yul Brynner podcast is tomorrow night. So that's the, <laughs> <laughs> they'll really appreciate it in that recording. <laughs> but um, all right, that so in terms of like breach and anti-life, just is there anything? Get us. Good yeah. job, <laughs> <laughs> it's better when you explain it. That's what really sells it. I find. Um, in terms of like, is there anything else? Oh, um, and something like I wanted to mention in terms of like the creature design as well, because like like. Again, cool, like semi cool idea, probably ripped off from somewhere else. Where it's like, where like Rachel Nichols' chambers like does the autopsy, and she's like, all their internal organs are missing. It's like, then how are they? How are they moving around? Something was operating them like a puppet, and you're like, that's a really cool gimmick. What if there's like this thing in a human suit? And it's like, how does that look? And it's kind of like you you think it's gonna be like um, what's his name, Vincent D'Onofrio from like Men in Black. Which is like my my ideal sort of like something is wearing a human being as a skin, but they just shuffle around like zombies. Well, and the, the the interesting thing for me about the alien was also, you, you still need your organs. <laughs> well, like, like the um, what it reminded me of was um, a liver fluke. It's like 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 liver, liver fluke. There would be like little eggs on blades of grass. Um, and they sorry before they've done that they've they've killed a mud snail um, and then they lay, lay, lay eggs so they're like all these different stages to kind of like and then a, a cow or a sheep um, eats the grass and then it burrows through it, it like it hatches inside and burrows through their liver um, like makes these little kind of like canals all up and down, like causing like this uh, um, cirrhosis, um, until until it, it's kind of um, you know had it had had its fill, and then um, and then it goes into a different stage where there's more eggs and that comes out and improvise, which 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 ends up in in like, and competing uh, the cycle in, in seashells in, in mud and, then, and then and then the snails eat and yeah. So like it felt very kind of real and like like a a a, 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 a um I think that that was to his kind of credit because when when you see the alien initially it is like a little slug that um that runs over and it kind of reminded me of a fluke um yeah but again, like it's it's an interesting idea, and I kind of like like Joe pointed out, it is absurd. You do still need your organs for things, and it's it's kind of convenient that it doesn't eat anything that is at all external on the body that it's doing, like the eyes, for example. Yeah, but, like these people are talking, aren't they? <laughs> yes. 
certain point like they're operating equipment like there's a moment where like where like clay is concerned that the thing is taking control of stanley and now has control of the ship and it's like they haven't really told us how intelligent this creature is in terms of like awareness and if it's hollowed him out from the inside i don't think it's using his personality well wasn't wasn't there a thing in in like darren and i watched a lot of star trek i think darren especially well wasn't there a thing like in voyager when it when it went from like using like computers that would have bioneural circuitry yeah yeah to 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 it was like fluid um they were they were, they, well, they, they, they had they these had the gel bioner- packs yeah the gel packs which i think were only really mentioned in the first season like there was a point where they had cheese where neelix made cheese and almost killed the ship i wish i were joking this was an actual plot line on star trek voyager because you see the cheese involves bacteria and the bacteria got in the gel packs. Um, exactly. So the, the, these aliens are gel packs. They're sophisticated are they, are gel they, packs. Okay. Or, or cheese. Are they the cheese or the gel packs in this analogy? Are, are we not the gel they packs? They are the gel packs and humans are the cheese. We are the virus. <laughs> All right. Um, but in terms of like breach or anti-life, is there anything we haven't talked about already? Anything jumping out at people in terms of what we want to discuss? Anything uh, regarding the film that we think merits conversation discussion? Yeah, just, I mean, CGI flamethrower? Uh, the, yeah, there is that. Uh, I was just <laughs> actually going to make the point that um, what's interesting and disappointing about the film is that it's made by a guy who previously made ads for a living and he actually owns a a company that makes ads and uh it's it's like he's kind of broken the the tradition so there there was a, a tradition that's still ongoing of directors who got their start making stylized commercials ridley scott is obviously the most famous example uh michael is bay Cameron Crow another? i don't know he was a music journalist so i don't know if he was an actor. oh sorry no fincher and bay both of the scots kind of do, yeah both do, the scots uh, uh david yeah. fincher yeah and the music videos as well which are essentially ads. another gateway and uh yeah michael bay and Zack snyder um was a big ad man as well and thing i don't like all of those filmmakers but they're all stylish like all those guys make films that are to some degree or another really good looking movies um uh really even but if they distinctive as they yeah like they, 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 they have, feel different yeah and they have an aesthetic um so even if there's like even a movie i hate like sucker punch looks good and looks like the people involved in it wanted it to look good and be stylized and that's the what probably the only thing you can rely on from an ad director uh making a movie is that it'll look good um, and it, this film, it's yeah, it's like there was a big long chain of ad directors who make stylish movies and just stopped with this movie because it is not stylish and it's made by an ad director. Uh, so that's just something to, unlike the movie, highlight. I think like the thing that the interesting thing about John Suits is that it, uh, apparently his career had the opposite trajectory where he came out of film school and he wanted to be a feature director and he did feature directing. So he did like, before this, he did another space set movie called 3022. Um, and then a producer that he worked with, Danny Roth, said, hey, we've got a Bruce Willis movie on a spaceship. Would you like to do it? Apparently, Suits only ended up doing advertisements later in his career uh, when he kind of figured out that he, like, he, he, is, he says as much, so I'm not being mean when I say this, 
when he started a family and figured that he wasn't going to be a big feature director. He was like, yeah, I'll happily take advertising jobs because you go away for a week, you shoot them in a week and you're done. They don't require you being away from your family and kind of prep and stuff like that. So I think maybe he doesn't quite break the tradition, but it's it's an interesting inversion where it's like, this is a guy who made movies or makes movies and now makes ads because they're they're easier or they're more convenient or they're a safer more secure form of income but like uh, wes anderson makes ads you know yeah. he did a, a jack tati pastiche um for a commercial in japan bringing the subject back with uh brad pitt um and scorsese makes ads so it's yeah it, he's part of a, a tradition all right just maybe not a noble tradition well, and, and to be clear, like his ads are not great either. Like Joe and I both watched his diehard battery commercial and it's not as if we were like, yeah, this John suits. We feel like we've given him a bit of a harsh ride this podcast. Like, no, the, the problems with anti-life, I think, carry over to the Bruce Willis battery commercial. And it's all sorts of kind of technical points as well. Like, like, like the Ortega um, deck. Could have been really kind of, um, I mean, in itself, is like pretty distressing. But it could have it it, it could have been um, so much more, uh, like with 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 the right kind of prosthetics and the right kind of sound um, effects. Design, like yeah, did it did to to. To, to 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 pull that off well it would have it would have really made made a mark on the audience but when you're watching it you're you're like that is a puppet and did like you're 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 you don't get any real kind of like visceral experience out of it um which is kind of missing a trick because um it should be this really um kind of horrific scene i mean maybe it still is but it's also kind of undercut by just it feeling kind of poorly done yeah i mean is it is it shady is is the character who explodes like there's a moment like the explosion of shady is well it, it's bad on a number of levels in large part because you you see it three times and the way in which it's positioned is designed the first time you like you see blue getting covered in blood if i remember correctly the second time you see like just before it happens and you cut to reaction shots and the idea of this is that you're you're building anticipation until you actually see him explode and then the third time you see it it's on camera but it's done in a cut and it's just like bam he's he's yeah. gone and it, it, it's like like it's it's on CCTV as well so you yeah. don't have to make it look that yeah, imp- like convincing uh, or realistic yeah um and they do that they they do like kind of like i don't know what you do on like garage band or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's just like we took these two shots of the place before and after he was standing in it and that's it. And like, again, the sound design is, is terrible either. Oh, before we go, Thomas Thomas Jane. Do we want to talk about Thomas Jane? Um, uh, yeah. I'd, just very briefly. I, I always like him. I'm a fan. Um, I thought it was a kind of a fun performance, about two or three scenes. And it was slightly ridiculous that he wears sunglasses for 50% of his screen time in this dark spaceship in the depths of space um but as as like paycheck cameos go i've seen worse yeah 
I find it fascinating that he's like the big paycheck guest cameo. Like he's the like he's the one that they could only get for like two days of shooting. Because like the way in which he's like he's made a big deal of at the start where he's the admiral and like the janitor kind of like hooked up with his daughter and they have the weird thing later on where he puts the gun and he's like I gotta kill you now. Uh, but like he's he's barely awake for like five minutes at the climax of the movie before he offers a completely meaningless heroic sacrifice um which is it's really bizarre because it feels like it feels like if you cast if you reverse the roles and had like thomas jane playing clay and bruce willis playing admiral adams it would mm. kind of work because like bruce willis is a big star here it's like Thomas and we got Thomas Jane, the biggest actor in the movie, and he was only available for three days. It's it feels odd, right? Like the, the real Elvis Presley vibe in that kind of yeah. speech he gives, kind of inside the ship. Yeah, yeah, there is. Oh, he was definitely kind of channeling something <laughs> there. All right, uh, is there anything else we're talking about? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at any of us with regards to breach or uh, anti life? No, Chekhov smocks us out. Oh, yeah. I thought that would be like much more obvious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, um, yeah. I love the, by the, the I love by the Bruce Willis is like, why didn't you mention this earlier? And it's like, yeah, yeah because exactly. the audience already beat you to it. But you knew about Marxist out as well. Like they, 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 they. Um, and and it's funny because he's about to kind of like tell the admiral. Hey, I've solved it. <laughs> and it's like, blown <laughs> Noble sacrifice. Up. It's yeah. like, uh, smoke me a kipper. I'll be back to breakfast, son. Look after my daughter. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it was a really stupid movie as well because there's like, um, well, the, the, this, uh, this is kind of, um, the, um, there's a lot of cursing in it, like really dumb cursing. Like I like cursing in, in well, improvise. You mother improvise. is like not yeah, a really. It's not as cool a one-liner, yeah, as this movie thinks it is. Improvise. Improvise. You mother. Improvise. I love how incomprehensible that's going to sound to anybody listening to the podcast. He blew himself uh, up that crazy mother. Improvise. The it's, ending. Do you want to talk not, about the ending where Noah yeah. and Haley escape from the ship? They make their way to New Earth, and of course, the monsters have already gotten there. Um, I yeah, I I kind of I mixed feelings about the ending because the I think those those guys really deserved a happy ending, um, and I wouldn't have minded if they had been given one. Um, I think it's really audacious and optimistic and maybe naive to set it up for a sequel it reminds me of when i saw tango and catch years ago and, I, <laughs> and and at the end a spoiler for tango and catch uh terry hatcher says to sylvester sloan and kurt russell hey why don't you guys just admit you make a great team and then they high five <laughs> each other and it's like clearly they think they're going to make about six sequels to this uh, and then the public is like ah no hard pass and i i feel like there's the same level of naivete and wild optimism presented by this ending i love jack palance and that He's getting two mice to fight each other or something. Right. Um, <laughs> um, 
they they um yeah they um she's not very pregnant at all but like her her um they land and then her water i think breaks. her water breaks i know in fairness she does have a bump um, yeah she, oh, she she, oh okay. I, di- I didn't notice it. It, it, it. And they have been traveling for 30 years at that point, right? Right. Yeah, I was wondering about that because it's kind of like a fridge door. Sort of. <laughs> oh, by the way, it's like the, the girlfriend's in a fridge. And that's his motivation. <laughs> She's literally fridged. Like, yeah, it's yeah. literally a, a woman in a refrigerator is the motivation driving this Because he movie. just kind of jimmies it open uh, for <laughs> the admiral. doesn't seem very secure, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, it it feels like there's a little kind of a rubber seal and that's it. Mm. You, you can know. put your milk not- in there, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it, it, yeah, again, it's not quite alien is what we're going for, but nowhere exactly. near as graceful as that in terms of opening it. Um, anything else jumping out at either of us, either of you? Anybody? Anything we want to talk uh, about? Any scenes we have? Bruce Willis kills three hundred thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> He's like. Um, it's like he's smoking sure a cigar. It's the and like it's the trolley dilemma. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But make sure you save your girlfriend. Is the big one as well. It's like yeah, I, lo- I like the weird thing where it's like begun infecting the colonists, but it hasn't infected the one colonist that we care about. He um, he he's being a captain of a ship. And he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort this. And then he just mashes the keypad. <laughs> Don't worry, son. I know what to do in this situation. That's uh, great. All right then. All right. I think that about then wraps it up. Unless there's anything else either of you want to talk about. Um, all right. So before we go, what we normally do at the end of this podcast is we recommend something for listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment, something that brings you joy. So to give Joe a chance to think about this, I'm gonna ask Andrew to go first. Um, I'm going to recommend, we, we, we were talking earlier about kind of um, uh, big celebrities who kind of uh, go away and don't do anything um, in, the, in, in, in the spotlight. Um, and I'm going to recommend a, 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 a book um, by a person that I love, Gene Wilder, wrote in autobiography, uh, Kiss Me Like a Stranger. I might have recommended it before. Um, and but I, I, I was I, 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 I think I've seen it recommended by a few other people since um, it's it, and it's beautiful and, and he, he is somebody who was who was huge and could have just kind of went on making movies and I think wasn't happy with some of the kind of uh, movies that he was kind of that uh, that he that he was making. You know, he's an artist, and that, and 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 that's what he did. I think he painted, and he did very very few kind of um, um, public appearances. And then he wrote that autobiography, and it was it was uh, it was beautiful. So if people are fans of of Gene Wilder, most 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 of these kind of autobiographies aren't going to be very good, especially. Um, check out that one. Um, also, also Metal Gear Solid. The 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 um, uh, clay reminded me of like the colonel when he's like appearing. Oh, the head popping up. The, head, the head just kind of pops up. It's like bling 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 bling. I do <laughs> love that you have you have a visual representation of Bruce Willis literally phoning in a performance yeah. where it's like Metal he's not Solid, even on the set. Metal Gear Solid isn't easy to play though. Like I'm I'm, I'm sure kind of our tech savvy mm-hmm. listeners can figure out a way. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, there have yeah. to be new versions of Metal Gear Solid that have to be. Good, there are, right? I think, there was a five. Now, uh, Hideo um, uh, 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 Kojima um, has has moved on from Konami, and um, so I don't think there will be a Metal Gear Six. 
but um, there is a Metal Gear Five. I think they've they've they're they're taking it off their servers though, Konami. Um, but I but I I believe there are ways of playing versions of Metal Gear. I loved the metal the 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 not the first Metal Gear, but the Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid. That's just a box. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to find a way to watch it and I couldn't. Sorry, to play it and I couldn't. I ended up watching like a walkthrough, like a speed run. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't the same. Same experience <laughs> at all. Yeah. Anyway, Joe. Uh, yeah, my, my wife used to nickname Metal Gear Solid So Solid Crew to annoy me. <laughs> um, I recommend uh, The White Lotus, uh, which is available on Sky Atlantic or HBO or HBO Max, depending on where you are. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. It's a week in the life of this like really high-end resort in Hawaii. And the um, life-changing events that happen for the guests and the staff there. So it's kind of a upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey kind of situation where we get a lot of time with both the employees and the super rich people there and it's a kind of a satire on what what wealth does to people uh, what working for rich people does to you as well and my favorite storyline is about one obnoxious guest who is promised one suite but gets another suite and it sparks a whole chain of events of conflict and antagonism and it's just great it's a uh, created and uh written i think mike white mike wrote, white yeah he did all of them um he of uh, the good girl and school of rock and uh, several other films i i really like brad status that he made a few years ago um so yeah it's a kind of a satire comedy drama um with horrible rich people in it um but many of them are not having a good holiday uh, in this Hawaiian resort. That so feels it's, good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great watch. Um, it's kind of like uh, Faulty Towers meets Succession. Ooh, that's a pitch and a half. And Succession, I think, will be back by the time this podcast is out or so rumors go. So that's probably oh, really? what as well. Excellent. Yeah, it's coming back this, this October. Um, I'm really excited about it as well. Uh, quick recommendations from myself. Um I rewatched all the, uh, sorry, I watched all of the Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, rebuild movies, uh, which are basically the remakes of the Evangelion stuff, which is inexplicably our 14th most popular episode on this podcast. And Andrew will be thrilled to hear there is a good chance that we may be talking about the fourth of those four rebuild movies uh, on this podcast at some point in the near future. So we will cover two separate endings to this franchise that Andrew has never actually watched. But I watched them. I found them interesting. I think they're well worth seeking out. Um, Only Murders in the Building, uh, which is on Disney+. Plus. Um, a lot of the conversation around Disney+, Plus tends to focus on the Marvel stuff. Uh, Only Murders in the Building is a series written and produced by Steve Martin, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, uh, about three people investigating a murder uh, in their building. It's, it's good fun. It's good wholesome. I think last time Joe was on, he recommended Ted Lasso. It's very similar to that. It has that kind of like same, like gentle this is how we used to make sitcoms kind of quality to it, which I, I really, really appreciate as well. And because it, it's, I cited this as a source earlier in it and because I've been enjoying it while I've been out walking, uh, Blank Check with Griffin and Dave, um, if you like a podcast recommendation on a podcast, that would be my recommendation in terms of kind of uh, movie stuff. All right then. So Joe, where are you? What you doing? Where can we find you? What you up to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter usually. Uh, the Joe Griffin, T-H-E, Joe Griffin. 
uh, Twitter. Uh, sorry, that's my handle. And that's pretty much it for the moment until I turn up here again. Yes, we are. We will actually have you on for Gladiator. There is like, you have you have a writer in your contract, like for every bad movie you cover, we have to have you on for a good movie. So if we do want to get you back for the next Bruce Willis movie that makes the bottom 100, we will have to cover Gladiator at some point, hopefully before the end of the year. Um, we also ask for milk teeth. Yeah, we can't quite, I'm not sure we can cover that legally speaking, but we'll take that discussion off the air. Um, <laughs> the sweet staring. I'm surprised like a sweet aficionado <laughs> like yourself. <laughs> Oh, down oh well, that's a, that's a lot easier. Empty. That that one Milk we can cover. Very that... easy to find. <laughs> like just they, they don't actually go to the the fairy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. All right then. And. <laughs> All right, well, you can follow the podcast online. We're on Citroen, SoundCloud, and iTunes, wherever good podcasts are found. This is arguably the first of our Halloween coverage. So next week, we're going to be covering another entry on the bottom 100. We're going to have the fantastic Joey Kyo, the sensational Dr. Bernice Murphy, will be joining us for two Halloween episodes. We're covering Alien the day before Halloween, but next week we ask them to pick a horror movie from the bottom 100 to make their choice which bottom 100 horror movie we would cover. They chose Manos, The Hands of Fate, which is not in copyright and you can watch on YouTube. And Joe, you will be very excited to hear this, it is only 64 minutes long. (laughs) Joe just punched the air excitedly. Um, So that is what we'll be covering next week, the week after... <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a three reeler is what is what we call it in the business. Um, but yes, we'll be we'll be covering that, and then the week after we'll be doing aliens. So take care, guys. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks so Bye. much, Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Right, right, I'll leave you there. Good night. Thank you. Good night, folks. Good night.